It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Tuesday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, broadcasting from our studios in left field with my co-host, the venerable John Riley. He's doing his share of the broadcast from left field. (laughs) Great to have you with us. This is our bonus podcast on a Tuesday. We have a unique group of topics on the table with an awful lot of late-breaking stories. John, good afternoon. Good to be back in the anchor's chair. Yeah, I mean, you've been gone for a week. How was your break? It was great. I went to Virginia, West Virginia, and Maine. Only negative, making the trip home, (laughs) go through three different airports, saw everybody in the world. It was a long haul back. But we're back here at the anchors table. And boy, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Some good, some not so good. Yeah, I mean, so you want to start with our local baseball team? Go ahead. I mean, these Padres, I mean, while you were gone, they were stinking up the joint. They lost two out of three to the Royals and the Red Sox. What are we going to do, Hacksaw? So the Padres have got real problems here because now we're approaching June 1st, which is the start officially of baseball in summertime. And the Padres are closer to last place than they are to first place. In fact, at one point this past week, John, on the weekend, the Padres were one game out of last place, one game ahead (laughs) of the last place Colorado Rockies. Uh, And there's been all kinds of reaction in the community. I think the most stunning thing to me was during the Kansas City Series last week, Padres Royals, they lost two of three after getting belted by the Boston Red Sox. There were a lot of boos, and I've not heard a lot of boos at Petco Park, Mm -hmm. maybe ever. People are really upset at how this program has evolved, the expectations, the amount of money spent, and where they are in the standings. And now... They've kicked off a nine-game road trip, starting with Washington, which has never been an easy place to play. And then they go to Yankee Stadium. So it's not going to get any easier for the Padres. Um, Should I use the word underachiever? Yeah. Uh, Should I use the word blame game? Not yet. Still, John, there's still an awful lot of baseball to be played. But this team cannot afford to be 10 or 15 games under 500 as we get into the summer season of Major League Baseball and think they can make a run. I don't have any understanding why this team can't hit because these guys have hit in the past. I did say to you all off season when we were talking hot stove league stuff that your pitching staff that was so great last year might not be the same pitching staff mm. this year. And look what's happened Mm -hmm. in terms of consistency, in terms of injury, in terms of underachievement. Uh, Just very briefly, let's just talk. That guy, A.J. Preller, bottom line, his team, his roster, his organization, and the contracts that he signed off on. If this does not work out, I don't know that we should fire the manager, Bob Melvin, but we should hold that guy accountable if this does not work out. But I put an asterisk next to it, John, because we still have a lot of baseball, 115 games or so, to play. Juan Soto, some good games, some bad games, some slumps. He's only hitting in the 240s. He's not what he was supposed to be when he came from Washington. Manny Machado, the fluke fracture of his hand, probably back in a week or so. 
but he's hitting only 231. He's not what he had been for such a long period of his baseball career, and that's a bit of a stunner. Uh, Blake Snell's an enigma. I've had enough. One and six. I don't want to hear any more quotes. I don't want to hear any more philosophies. You're one and six with an ERA of almost six, and it goes on and on and on every year. Joe Musgrove, we will cut him some slack just because of the injury and the missed spring training time. But the truth is, his ERA is 5.48, and he's given up home runs. So it's just not what we expected. And if this does not work out, we will have to raise questions at the end of the season about that guy's ability to actually put together a winner, a roster. Because outside of the three months we had last year and the push to the playoffs and the excitement of beating the Dodger Blues in the National Championship Series, John, outside of those three months, there were no accomplishments here with his leadership in San Diego. And you can win you can win the winter baseball trading meetings and you can win at the trading deadline, but if you're not winning consistently and they just don't look like they're anywhere near close to being what the Dodgers have been for nine or ten years. All right. So I fired a lot of shots at you at left field. Go ahead, defend the honor, critique the honor, do what you want. You're part of this show. Yeah, well, thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, Preller is the top dog, okay? Well, next to Seidler. And he does bear responsibility at the top of the uh, organizational chart. But, you know, going into the, the season, we were praising Seidler for spending all this money. We were praising Preller for being this, you know, wheeler and dealer and signing these guys. We all knew he gave up a ton for Juan Soto, but generally speaking, the Padre fan base loved it. Um, I'm going into this. I'm thinking, how can you blame Preller that Machado, a perennial MVP player, is hitting 231. I mean, that's not Preller's fault. It's not Preller's fault that Jose, uh, that Juan Soto suddenly, you know, can't hit the ball. I mean, those are things that I think you have to look at the players themselves. Because look at our history here in San Diego and the other GMs we've had. You could point fingers at them. You could point fingers at our previous ownership. But our leadership now, man, I, I have confidence in what they're doing. The players are just not holding up their side of the, of the bargain. If this turns out to be a wretched season, if this turns out to be not a playoff season, they're going to have to make some changes. Well, yeah. And and they may have to make some changes with some big-name players. Now, that being said, I'm sorry, I'm not going around looking for the panic button yet. <laughs> I'm willing to give them more space. But I don't understand why these guys can't hit. Do you know in the history of baseball, John, and that goes back to the 1890s. That okay. was a few curveballs ago. In the history of baseball, there's never been a team with a batting average of sub 200 with runners in scoring position. Never. Yeah, it's just never. In- inexplicable. And your team is hitting 194 yeah. through the first quarter of the season with a $253 million payroll. 194 with runners in scoring position. And, and we thought this was a deep lineup, right? And that, you know, it would be one through six. It would be all all-stars. And you get down at the bottom of the order, even guys like Austin Ola, we thought we're going to get better looks because all the other players at the top of the order would hit better. It hasn't turned out that way. Padres Twitter, the fan base, is going crazy. There are people that are calling for Bob Melvin's head. There are even some crazy people that want to re-sign Eric Hosmer. Can you believe that? Well, <laughs> 
they're going to they have to pay them anyhow. Right. They owe him thirty nine million. <laughs> yeah. So instead of mailing the check to Kansas City where he lives, bring him back. Let him be your first baseman and put Jake back at second base and let Kim be your superstar sub multi position guy. You can't do any worse, and you <laughs> you got to pay him. So. Maybe you bring him back and play. No. <laughs> that's far fetched. I understand that. You know, if you want to leave now and walk out to left field, that's okay. Uh, okay. So that's where we are with the Padres. An awful lot of baseball to be played, but I'm sorry. They are underachievers. If I'm wrong, I want you to tell us by jumping on our fans' forum at the end. Let's go from one team to another team. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the team up in LA. I mean, the Dodgers, they're having a little bit of trouble now, too. Yeah. A week ago this time, everybody was saying Dodger baseball, uh, penthouse. Mm-hmm. Now some people are saying Dodger baseball, outhouse. <laughs> now, I don't know how they survived the loss of all this pitching, because this has really been a, a, a big setback. If, if we just start with the storylines with the Dodgers, this loss of Dustin May is huge. It's scary. You know, he came off the Tommy John surgery in the elbow sat out all of last year, was was monitored and brought along in a proper fashion. That's the, the, the go through the steps of the rehab, the bullpen sessions, the throwing, uh, the minor league games, etc. Came roaring out of the gate. Fastball was in the upper 90s. Guy was dominant. 2.48 ERA coming off Tommy John's surgery. And all of a sudden, forearm starts to bother him. Now, he did not tear the ligament. He's got a strained pronator muscle in the elbow, eight weeks. Hmm. So he is dry docked. Uh, That's an issue. There's a scary part to the rehab process when you're trying to work your way back. Walker Bueller's been throwing bullpens, legendary pitcher. Fastball always in the high 90s. Hardest he's been able to throw in the bullpen is 89. Ooh. Now, he's not had physical setbacks, but he does not have his velocity right now. Mm -hmm. That's a big issue. I'm not sure what's going on with Julio Urias. Uh, ace of the staff, what was he, 20-3 and three last season? His last 37 innings has just been horribly bad. His velocity is down. His control is down. He's given up home runs. And now he's gone on the injured list with a hamstring injury. But there's something not right with this guy because he came flying out of the gate too. And he was pitching really, really well. Uh, I, I wrote Urias's numbers down. Listen to this. 37 innings, 25 runs, 40 hits, 18 walks. That's 58 base runners and 37 innings and 13 home runs. This this was a guy was a Cy Young type pitcher last yeah. season, so that's that's a big issue there. The bullpen by committee has been a real problem. They continue to reach to try to find somebody. They just signed Ken Giles. Now at one point, he was a top closer in the National League and the American League. Houston, Philly, Toronto, mm-hmm. encountered arm problems. He's in essence he's really been down for two years. He had a private showcase in Florida a couple of weeks ago. The Dodgers have signed him. He's at Oklahoma City. He'll probably be up. No, I don't know whether this Ken Giles is the Ken Giles we saw with the Astros, the Phillies, and the Blue Jays. But the Dodgers are in first place. Jeez, John, they're eight games ahead of your Padres right now. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's, with, that's with all these issues mm-hmm. that they've got. You know, And we've talked extensively about no Gavin Lux. And we talked about uh, Outman, the hot young center fielder. And we talked about what the, the rookie uh, Vargas at second base is done. 
Uh, I was staggered. I just saw a, st- a statistic. Trace Thompson is 0 for 36. Okay. Uh, you're supposedly one of your rotation outfield over 36. Well, he's reverted back to the way he played for the Padres. Yeah. So Dodgers are in first place right now with a myriad of problems, but there's a lot of baseball to be played. And if, if they don't get Julio back healthy on the mound and Dustin May is out for an even longer extended period of time, you, you can't say, here's my rotation as Clayton Kershaw. And Tony Gonsolin, and that's right now all they got. And they got the five kid pitchers down at AAA, but each of them's had a physical issue that kind of slowed their ability to go from AAA to the major league. So Dodgers are in first place holding on, but all is not right. And Dodger Blue has really got a different definition right now. Well, what's the deal with all these pitchers? They're they're so fragile, you know? It's just like they break so easily. Remember, I remember back in the day when they had four-man rotations and pitchers were regularly going over 200 innings a season, sometimes 300 in innings in a season. And now it's these little things that happen. Um, but, you know, Dustin May, that kid's a talent. I mean, he looks like Carrot Top up on the mound with a big red fro. But, boy, he has that two-seamer that can move like, I don't know, 12 inches left to right. It's incredible. Uh, so he, he's, I mean, I hate that he's on the Dodgers, but I love watching him pitch. And the same thing with um, Bueller. That ball, I mean, the spin rate, the way that ball just jumps, like it hits another gear halfway, you know, to the to the plate. I mean, there's some really talented guys there. But yeah, they they got to get their house in order. And maybe this is a chance for the Padres, if they can figure out how to hit the ball, maybe now they can catch the Dodgers when they're reeling a bit. A lot of baseball to be played. We'll see which one stays atop, which one makes the chase towards first place. Before we change topics on the table, John, let's talk about Fans Forum. Let's talk about subscribing. <laughs> let's talk about all the platforms that you and me are broadcasting on. Okay, so you can uh, get involved in the Fans Forum. Just type your comment or question on the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. you got a question for Hacksaw. Put it there. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, we're on all the audio-only platforms as well as on YouTube. Be sure you subscribe at YouTube. You know, Lee, we just passed 1,800 subscribers on YouTube, so that's been growing very steady. So thanks for all your support. And um, Hacksaw, also you can follow, like, share, and subscribe on all the social media platforms. Hacksaw is on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I mean, we're everywhere. And don't forget, check my website. If you like sports, if you liked our sports talk show, and we just did the segment on the history of sports talk radio as I view it, uh, go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It's written content every day, the best 15 minutes in radio, Hacksaw's headlines, my one man's opinion column, Hacksaw's mini polls. And by the way, because John needs all the friends he can get as a co-host of the show, Mm -hmm. feels really lonely out there in left field with some of his opinions. If you're going to give us a rating give us five stars and give us thumbs up and by the way share with all your friends okay john let's talk hoops yeah hoops i mean it seems like the end of the line has finally come from the los angeles lakers oh so dark your attitude is so <laughs> I'm a warrior dark. fan <laughs> here's the question so the lakers had a mystical turnaround from where they were two and ten They were a mess at the trade deadline. They reinvented themselves, new chemistry, coach did a pretty good job, pushed their way into the playoffs, 
had to go through the play-in game to get in the front door. Then they knocked out Memphis, and then they got themselves knocked out uh, in the aftermath of, of the Golden State Series. Then they lost to the Denver Nuggets. Denver's two superstars beat the Lakers' two superstars. That's that's the bottom line there. I guess the burning question the day after the season ends for the Lakers, with all the changes by that general manager there, Rob Polenka, are they a better franchise now or still a franchise that's a mixed bag or a franchise that's really in disarray? It's a huge conversation point going forward. What makes this hard, you got two superstars in LeBron at age 38 that put on an unbelievable show in that final game against Denver. And Anthony Davis, who's a tremendous talent, proved he could fight through injuries. You got two superstars, but there's not much else there. And you got two superstars, and you don't have any number one picks. Hmm. And you have two superstars, and you have no cap space. So what you've got is probably what you're going to have to try to develop. So I just don't know it's the same franchise. Uh, I, I look at the roster. I would, I think Austin Reeves was a positive growth player. Sure. I think Rui Hachimura proved he could be a, a, a big-time player, but there's not been a lot of consistency to his game. Uh, I'll pack the suitcase and go to the bus station and make sure D'Angelo Russell gets on the bus and leaves as a free <laughs> yeah, agent. I agree. But the problem is you look at the rest of the roster and they're just guys. And yeah, you know, a guy can have a good game and hit five free three points in a row. But he's not good enough to play on an every night basis because he can't do that consistently. He doesn't play enough defense at the other end of the floor. He could chop out the bottom half of the roster and just you wind up replacing him with other guys of the similar ilk. I don't know how Polinka makes this better because the odometer, the clock, it's rolling, it's ticking on LeBron at age 38 and on Anthony Davis who's got a lot of miles on those tires. Uh, so I don't know if they're a better or worse team. You know, they've tried to reinvent themselves post-Kobe, post-Shaq. And, you know, and they tried to do it with kids, and they wound up trading Kyle Kuzma and Brandon Ingram, who've gone on to play very well other places. And then they tried to do it with rentals. And the Carmelo Anthony situation did not work. They tried a homecoming season with Russell Westbrook. We know how that turned out. Then they made all the deals at the deadline. They brought these role players in, and some played well, some didn't play well. Most of them wound up back on the bench because they couldn't do it consistently. So, John, in left field, John, are the Lakers better? Or are the Lakers worse? Give me a response. Uh, they're better than they were to start the season. I mean, Palinka made some made some really. I mean, it looks like Rob Lowe on the screen. By yeah. the way, this guy is unbelievable. But they look a lot better than they did the first half of the season. I always go back to the model of the Chicago Bulls, and you know, you had the two superstars in, in MJ and Pippen, but their supporting cast the, those were role players that were consistent. Tony Kukoc. Tony Kukoc was a uh, he was a you know a star from Europe. He came over. He was solid, but even guys like Luke Longley, Steve Kerr, they all had their role and they executed it very well and very consistently. Where the Lakers seem to have this turnstile of role players coming in and out and in and out, and they had they found some magic yeah with Austin Reeves, a couple of the other guys, but it seems that 
to your point, they're, they're, the odometer's near the end. It's almost like we're near the last dance for the Bulls. Because, I mean, really, how many more years does LeBron have? They were asking him after the game, are you still going to play? He says, I have to think about it. And he's 38. I mean, how much more does he have left in the tank? But the dude scored 40 points in his final game. And what he did in the first quarter of that game was you don't see 38-year-olds do that. And he's done that consistently. He's had monster games when they really needed him to deliver the goods. And and I, I know Tuesday, everybody's talking, LeBron's going to retire. Read between the lines of what LeBron said. That was speaking 20 minutes after a devastating end-of-season loss. Okay, fair enough. He did everything he could humanly do. I don't think there's one iota of thought that he is going to retire He'll come back. The challenge will be for Rob Polinka to fix this franchise. And he's tried every avenue possible and we've still not had an awful lot of success. And, you know, it's interesting because you got the Lakers in one corner of the Crypto.com arena. <laughs> you got the Clippers in the other corner with a coach that I don't think is real happy. I think he's a great coach in Tyroon Lue. And there's no solution to the Clippers scenario because of the chronic injuries to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So we've got both. This is going to be a very interesting summer. We'll be talking hoops in the middle of the summer to talk about what the Lakers must do or what the Clippers might have to do to augment the rotten roster the Lakers have, and the crisis of injuries that the Clippers have. It's its going to be fascinating. Okay, on we go. Next topic on the table. On the table. I mean, yeah, we lost a legend. Jim Brown. I mean, this guy, an incredible ball player and, and a, really an amazing person off the field. Flashback. I grew up on the East Coast. Don't ask me why. I was not a Yankees fan. I just liked the logo. <laughs> um, I was an Indians fan, Chief Wahoo. I was a Browns fan. I totally disliked the New York Giants. I grew up where Sunday was important because it was Jim Brown versus Sam Huff. Giants, Browns. It was like they played every weekend. Uh, what, what legendary showdown games. Uh, you know, is, is there a way to describe Jim Brown? That, those are great statements. Iconic as a football player and defiant as a person. His accomplishments, nine years in the NFL, walked away. Led the league in rushing, I think, seven times, three times MVP. Guy had over 12,000 yards rushing, 230 receptions. I think it was 63 touchdowns. Never came off the field. He was the heart and soul of the Browns. He left to go be in the film industry after a dispute with the owner. He was a man who had his own standards. He was an icon in NFL football. Off the field, he had enormous issues. He was arrested seven times Mm. for abuse of women, girlfriends, dates, wife, Mm. a bad situation. What the man did in the community off the field is as important as those 12,000-plus yards rushing and the 230 catches as a member of the Cleveland Browns. What he did, to me, was equal to what Jackie Robinson did in Major League Baseball, breaking the color barrier. Okay, Because not only did Robinson do unbelievable things with the Brooklyn Dodgers on the field, but Jackie Robinson was actively involved in the inner-city community and in politics. Hmm. Jim Brown did equal things for black America— 
Uh, and even though Robinson gets a lot of credit for breaking the barrier and everybody uses the statement, we would not be here today had it not been for Jackie Robinson. The growth of African-American people and athletes is in part due to what he did, whether it was his relationship with Martin Luther King, whether it was his support of Muhammad Ali during the entire Vietnam War crisis issue, whether it was his intervention with gangs, whether it was stepping front and center with the NAACP to help black businesses become key integral parts of the African-American communities back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Brilliant man. I interviewed him one time. Uh, Just an unbelievable man in terms of what he thought was important, not just in sports, John, but what he really thought was important in in the social life, the fabric. Uh, Hell of a guy. I don't know what the Browns are going to do to salute him. Uh, I I would hope that they're go, you know that they should do something like put the number thirty two on every helmet mm-hmm. or have everybody wear the number thirty two in one game like baseball does in on the salute to Jackie Robinson. There will be something special coming out of Cleveland. But man, for nine years he was something unbelievable to watch on a Sunday by Sunday basis. Never injured, never came out of the game. And he was just a physical force that made the Browns a great team in the Paul Brown era. And then if if you read and, and read his obit, the extensive obit that the New York Times wrote about him, just amazed at his interaction in the community for what he thought were big programs or important for African-Americans in the neighborhoods they lived in. So I, I I knew of him as a player was just slightly before my time because when was his last year like in the late sixties maybe mm-hmm. right and so I was still a little guy then um, but I knew of Jim Brown really for all the things he did off the field I mean this was a man of principle of integrity that stood up for a lot of issues I'm really saddened to hear that he was ran into the law with some domestic abuse oh. of women that I didn't know that side of the story I, I I'm sad to hear that because everything else I've heard about this guy has been so positive. But, uh, I mean, is that why you were a Cleveland Brown fan back in the days? I mean, you're on Long Island and you're rooting for the Browns? like. And I was on Long Island rooting for the Indians against the Yankees. I just, I'm sorry, I was cut from a different cloth. <laughs> That's who I am. So is Jim Brown, in your opinion, the best running back of all time? Maybe one of the top five in NFL history? Well, I think it's hard to compare errors. Uh, I had great regard for Walter Payton. Phenomenal respect for the athleticism of the Dart and Dasher, Barry Sanders. Way back in the day, one of the great running backs was a guy by the name of Steve Van Buren. And mm. prior to him, way back, was a guy like Red Grange. Um, but Jim Brown, in his era, 50s into the 60s, he was phenomenal, big and physical and fast. He was a great athlete. Now, he didn't punish people. It was really interesting. There was a lot of criticism that he would run sweeps. And instead of getting blasted or blasting a linebacker, he'd step out of bounds. Hmm. And his whole theory was, why should I take an extra hit? I'll come back and hit him on the next play when they run me up inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1964, the Browns won the National Football League title and championship, and he was part and parcel of that whole thing. But uh, he did so much, especially in Los Angeles, so much as it relates to interventions with gang members. He just influenced a lot of young African-Americans who are on the brink of going the wrong way. And and Jim Brown, 
also, you know, he was he was from Manhasset, Long Island, out close to where I lived. Went to Syracuse University. Uh, he was coached by a legendary college coach, Ben Schwartzwalder, who had racial issues at Syracuse. He was a victim of racism back mm. in the 1950s. And yet he came out of that, came out the other side with a man with, as you would say, principles. I I think the greatest athletes that changed the game were obviously Babe Ruth, J- uh, Jackie Robinson, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Gordy Howe. They influenced the game in a lot of different directions, mm-hmm. not just on the court or on the floor or on the ice, but in society. I just – I think he was a hell of a man. I mean he's lived a long and uh, a flourishing life, I guess yeah. you could say, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would hope that – that makes sense. You know, maybe the little 32 logo, not only just for the Browns, but really for the whole league. Sure. I mean because this guy was so important to the development of the National Football League. Was he – did he play during the Super Bowl era? Did he? No. no, he must have retired right before that. Yeah, he walked away from football in the 1960s after he went into film. He was making movies. It was he in a Western movie? Was it like he was in the Dirty Dozen? The which, Dirty Dozen, which that was, was really, I think, the marquee thing. And mm-hmm. and they were running behind schedule in shooting the film out here in Hollywood. And training camp was opening for the Browns, and he said, "I won't be there for a week." And Art Modell, the owner of the Browns, went crazy and said he's going to find him $100,000 a day. Wow. And Jim Brown said, no, you're not. I'm retiring. <laughs> so, Good for so, him. Yeah. So, uh, he, like I say, he was his own man. Iconic as a player and really defiant at times mm-hmm. as a person. Speaking of controversy, we got stuff to talk about in college football. Yeah. I mean, this news at USC, this doesn't sound good. It's terrible. Um, I knew this guy. He was here for 15 minutes as the athletic director at San Diego State. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought he was a bit of a snake oil salesman. I never bought the sales pitch. He was here today, gone by tomorrow. Winds up at USC. USC is trying to clean up all the mistakes of their past. That includes the athletic director of yesteryear, Mike Garrett. Mm -hmm. That includes the sparkling hiring of... The wide receiver, Lynn Swan, neither of those worked out. <laughs> yeah. uh, that includes the, the failed attempt of Pat Hayden to fix the program. And then the hiring of this guy. And this guy comes in, and next thing you know, they get Lincoln Riley as head coach. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, they hire a pretty good college basketball coach and Andy Enfield. Next thing you know, we wake up one morning having coffee and spill the coffee on the table. What do you mean USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten? So he accomplished a whole bunch of things. But now we find out, and thank goodness for the media. You know, the newspaper world is dying. Thank goodness for investigative reporting because the LA Times is the one that broke this story. That six women within the athletic program and employees went to the university and said there was a major problem here with harassment, mm. toxic workplace environment, sexual harassment. Uh, reliability, him showing up on time to do the job he's supposed to be doing. Uh, I always thought he was a glad-hander. Uh, obviously, from within the circle, there was a lot of other stuff going on there that turned a lot of people off. And now we find out the second story via the Cincinnati Enquirer that he left UC to come to USC, and there was an investigation because of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct with him and three female employees at UC who went 
to the Cincinnati administration. Mm. So it begs a question, how does USC vet its hires when you've made these kind of mistakes with so many athletic directors who are the CEOs of the program, mm-hmm. big money program? How do you make that kind of mistake? And what does it say about this guy because of the junk that happened at Cincinnati and is now repeated even on the bigger stage at, at Southern Cal? I mean, I, w- I was really stunned. But when he was here, I never had a problem with him, but I just I just thought that his whole approach to doing it seemed to be kind of sleazy. And mm. look what happened in Cincinnati with the Bearcats and obviously what's happened with the Trojans. Did, the S- did SC fire him? Is he gone? He retired. He retired. He retired okay. a day after the LA Times went to USC okay. and said, we have this evidence mm-hmm. of this investigation on the other side of your campus. And by the way, we have now dug up the fact there was a similar set of incident circumstances investigated at the University of Cincinnati. So he retired, hyphen, got fired. And I don't think it'll ever work again. This we just this story keeps repeating itself, right? Yep. You know, it's like mass shootings. It's like it happens all the time and it never stops. So we keep having these sexual harassment situations. What's the problem here? I mean, why can't these men evolve? Why can't they join us in the 21st century and treat people with respect? I mean, what's going on? Just it's just the way society is. Whether it's corporate industry. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's Division One football and basketball powers, it's just society's norms have changed, and the Me Too movement has now impacted every facet of business and society, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And yet, this stuff is going on as as recently as three months ago at Southern Cal. In 2023, you're kidding me that nobody's yeah. some select group of people have not learned that there's different values and different mores and a different set of circumstances now yeah. in the culture. And you can't make those comments and you can't touch female employees. Right. So I mean, he's not the incredible. only one. It's happened everywhere. But this is Southern Cal. And now look what's happened there. Yeah. And I think to your point, how did they not vet this and not? Le- I mean, because especially you figure like the whole Harvey Weinstein thing was all Hollywood. I mean, that's right down the street from USC. Mm-hmm. You think they would have been doing better due diligence here. And if this guy had this kind of a track record, why in the hell did they hire him in the first place? I mean, you know, this kind of reflects poorly on the university's administration all the way at the top. The word is credibility. That's mm-hmm. what the word is. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we go to uh, people who've got statements to make, John, just quickly, uh, tell everybody again about our fans forum package. Tell them how to subscribe. Tell them why you desperately need them to give you five-star ratings in <laughs> yeah. the field. Yeah, I desperately <laughs> need people to like me. Um, so uh, if, if you like the podcast, you want to follow, subscribe, share, all that's helpful. Go to all the social media platforms. Hacksaw's there, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I mean, we got to get on a couple of others here uh, just to kind of keep the love going. Um, we, fans forums already loading up. I see a lot of people in there. Force Coast Fabio's in there and Podsin69 and Mark Schwartz. And we're going to try to get you all involved in the, in the fans forum segment here in just a moment. And, uh, you know, it's just follow wherever we are. You know, we are on all the audio platforms there, Lee. And subscribe and share. Tell your friends. I don't care if it's phone call, email, text, cell phone, Instagram, Facebook. Tell your friends about what we're doing with our weekly podcast. And also check my website if you like sports. You're going to really like what I write day in, day out. May not agree with my one man's opinion columns, but that's okay, too, because that's a part of the equation. John? 
Let's let the fans get involved here. Where do yeah, you want to start? Well, let's. I mean, the fans have got some great comments about what we talked about today, but the YouTube comments were all going down memory lane with the, with the sports talk history. So I hope we get time for both. Jump on there. Okay, so let's go here to uh, Graham Zuloff, and he says, Saw, how long will the Brandon Dixon experiment continue? Put Carpenter in. Well, here's the question. I'm sorry. They got super utility men that they have to bring up for El Paso when guys get hurt, but those guys can't play. Uh, Please tell me, and again, this is his statement, uh, (laughs) reminder, uh, he said Eric Hosmer. I'd rather have Eric Hosmer at first base than Brandon Dixon at first base. I'd rather have Eric Hosmer at first base and allow Jake to go to second base uh, and then make Hassan Kim the super utility guy. Can play second, can play short, can play third. Who knows? Maybe Hosmer hits better. You got to pay him. You owe him three years, $39 million. Why don't you bring him back and make him work for it and just see if something happens? I, yes, no. No. He he takes balls from the right side, left side of the infield when he's receiving it. He takes them in foul territory. The ball bounces and crosses the, the base running line, and he catches it behind the line. Hosmer has no business coming back to San Diego at all. But, yeah, Brandon Dixon, it's like, why is this guy barely even made the team? I'm surprised. I think it must be like a 40-man thing because they maybe don't want to bring up someone else. But, God, it just seems like, you know, these championship players, like the Bulls, they have these role players and everyone – all those role players are consistent, but the Padres, their role players are their big reaches. And I think the Lakers were like that to a degree, too. Tell you what, you look at the Padre batting statistics as they start this nine game roadie. My goodness, they got a ton of guys hitting under 240. Oh, oh there's so many of them. Awful. Right, he says no to Eric Hosmer. No Next way. question. Okay, this is an Aztec question. I like this one from Force Ghost Fabio. Hey, now that uh, forward Jay Powell has signed, who is Dutch looking at to fill the last two scholarships? Well, here's the big issue. And we said this maybe a month ago. I take full credit for being first man on the uh, through the wall with this opinion. I was really concerned that San Diego State John was not going to be able to continue to fund their athletes in the NIL mm-hmm. pool. Mm-hmm. And now we find out that the Mesa Foundation is struggling to raise another $365,000 to fund it again this year. I think indirectly, nobody said anything to my res- my questions about this. I think the reason the Padres did this marketing deal with JMI Sports downtown mm-hmm. to market the programs and do their contracts and the negotiations and all that, I think part of the JMI package is going to be to try to raise funds that can be flipped into the NIL pool mm. that the Padres have to give their players. You mean the Aztecs? I'm sorry, the Aztecs. <laughs> Jet lag, baby. <laughs> I know, sorry. I just got bad jet lag. <laughs> so here, I, I'm, I'm really concerned because every big guy that they've gone after, they've not been able to get because if guys have gone to other schools to power five conference schools, bigger payday. And that's a big issue because now San Diego State, which last year gave each athlete 2000 per month, they're getting blown out of the water. And if it's bad at San Diego State, think about how bad it is at, at really the, the underfinanced places like New Mexico and Wyoming and Colorado State. They're mm-hmm. all getting dinged and they're all losing players. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge issue. I'll give you a prime example. And I thought this all along. I thought, I thought Aztec kids were being tampered with. Josh Simmons, their best offensive lineman for Aztec football. He was here, started for almost two straight years, struggled, learned, but at six, seven, three hundred, this Brady Hook talked about this kid's pro potential. He disappears. 
goes right into the portal right at the end before spring ball starts. Where does he wind up? He won't get $2,000 at Ohio State. He's getting $50,000 at Ohio State. And that's what's happened around intercollegiate athletics is the big boys are showing up and they're cherry picking the top kid Mm -hmm. from a mid-level program. They think they can grow and make him a really fine college player and they're giving him wads of money. It's a big issue at San Diego State. So um, that's why they've not signed anybody else. That's why Crosstown at USD, Steve Lavin has not landed any transfers. And he rebuilt that thing with the snap of your fingers last year in the transfer portal because guys want to come play for him in his name. Mm-hmm. Now guys want to go play. How much are you going to pay me? Right. It's, a, it, it's a big issue. Now Keyshaw Johnson's at Arizona. I'm kind of wondering how much he got. Well, he got something, but yeah. I don't know what kind of impact he's going to have because that's big-time basketball. Yeah. I mean, he was a fine player in the Mountain West Conference, but there is a difference between Mountain West here, Pac-12 here. Yeah, well, we're going to find out. I mean, I'm kind of rooting for him. I was disappointed he left, but I get it. With all the money, I mean, you gotta, you, you can't— you can't bang on the players for pursuing, you know, payouts. But yeah, the landscape has definitely changed. Yeah, and I and I mentioned back months ago when the Keisha Johnson thing happened. We don't know the family's financial situation, yeah. and a lot of times, these kids come from poverty. He came from Oakland, hmm. so I would have to imagine money as part of that decision making process too. On we go. Next question. Okay. Um, Let's see here. This is another one from Grand Zuloff. He says, LeBron looked passive in the second half last night. Where's the passion and drive? Well, he spent a lot of bullets in the first half. In fact, he only he played virtually the entire first half. I think he played 23 minutes and 20 seconds. And then he played the whole second half. So, I mean, he was pushing almost 48 minutes during the course of that game, John. And I think he was spent. And I think they may have done some things defensively a little bit different. Uh, which kind of forced the ball other directions. They started to double on LeBron. He did. He only made one basket in the fourth quarter, and and he missed the last two shots. One was a missed short jumper. The other was a blocked shot because just couldn't get up off off the floor because I think he was just really fatigued. So yeah. this is this is not on LeBron. This is not on Anthony Davis. This is on the rest of the roster, and I I think that's a big issue. Then I don't know how Rob Polinka is going to solve it because he's tried every creative way to get guys in the front door uh, and they have no cap space and no number one picks till 2027 yeah and then imagine yeah i mean we don't know what's going to happen i mean but it's going to be tough for them to rebuild this thing and i mean we, now we're dealing with the surging sacramento kings in the west i mean the landscape in the nba is changing as well um but yeah i mean Le- lebron went for that final drive that final basket and just got snuffed in the lane and i think to your point he was probably fatigued. I mean, I think he played all but a few seconds of that entire game. Yeah, I think he played, I want to say, 46 and a half to 47 minutes of a 48-minute basketball game yeah. at age 38. That's incredible. And by, yeah, incredible is 40 points and 10 rebounds and 9 assists. So, mm-hmm. uh, great player, uh, needs to step away a little bit, catch his breath. I think he'll be wearing purple and gold with Anthony Davis next year. The big question is, who else is going to put that jersey on? Next question. Okay. This one's from PodSense69. Jim Brown, all-time running back. It'd be tough. I mean, if you sat here on a whiteboard and you started to put names down, I mean, who would be the the top five names of all time? I, I, you would have to include, sorry, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Obviously, Walter yeah. Payton. Mm-hmm. Probably Barry Sanders would be in that mix. Jim Brown. And then, obviously, the back-in-the-day greatness of Red Grange, who was the first greatest 
of football. But I mean, it's it's hard. I think you have to do it in increments of twenty year windows mm-hmm. rather than the the greatest of all time. Jeez, well, how NFL, about Earl Campbell? NFL football goes back to 1920. Yeah, and it was a different game back then, you know, the way they played the game. But, I mean, I remember Earl Campbell uh, for the Oilers, and that guy was just unbelievable. And you can add Franco Harris to that argument. That one, uh, Franco was amazing. Uh, Marcus Allen. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of these guys were just tough guys, three yards in a cloud of dust. But these other ones are multidimensional guys like a Roger Craig that could catch it, could run it, could do all these things. Yeah, it's, it's hard to compare them, but... Jim Brown to me just is a he's a man. I mean, you know what I mean? He's just he is a man on the field, off the field, stood up for so many things. The fact that he maybe retired one or two years too early rather than one or two years too late, I respect that, especially if he wanted to pursue a different career. So therefore you do agree with me that Jim Brown was to the NFL from a football standpoint and a social impact standpoint, what Jackie Robinson was to baseball and society. Yeah. I, I Now that we're talking about it, I think you're right. And we, we talked a little bit about Bill Russell in the NBA, the same kind of guy. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you there. Okay. We move on our fans forum. Okay. So this one's from Mark Schwartz. What do you think about Goodell being extended through 2027? Well, he's taken what was a $6 billion a year industry when he replaced the retiring Paul Tagliabue and they made it a $16 billion industry. Oh, wow. The National Football League is just an amazing, evolving marketing machine. Uh, are there problems there? Yeah, I think there's credibility problems in the league. This Daniel Snyder situation is one. Obviously, the concussion lawsuit is another. Uh, the hypocrisy of the league as it relates to we must hire more blacks and there's hardly any African-American minority head coaches. That whole crisis. Uh, so the, the league has got some monster credibility problems. But I, I get the sense that fans don't care. Fans just want to see the games and want to see the action, and they want to watch the playoffs and love the Super Bowl. And in the offseason, the Super Bowl is the NFL draft. Um, but, but but NFL has got some real issues that they've got to deal with from a, a credibility standpoint. And some of that's on Goodell. Some of that has to be on the relationship of the owners. And some of it's got to be the business relationship with the Players Association. So. Uh, I think this will be his last contract as commissioner through 2027. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot going on. You figure, yeah, there's all the money. Uh, that's good for the, the league, you know, and their finances. But then, you know, there's the concussion syndrome and and, and like the, the beating these guys take. Now, on one hand, I mean, it's tragic. But on the other hand, the fans love that gladiator aspect to the game, right? But you know what's carrying this whole thing? It's it's the gambling. It's it's fantasy. It's DraftKings and, and uh, all those other apps that are available. That's what keeps people passionate about this. Um, I mean, it's just a fantastic sport. It's perfect for television. And the NFL is getting a cut of every pie that is on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, that NFL is all about money. Just ask Charger fans here who saw their franchise being taken away from them in the middle of the night. We move on on Fans okay. Forum. Okay, this is actually a pretty interesting comment here from Diego Garcia. And he says, Lakers are linked to Trey Young. How much should they be willing to give up to get him or a similar point guard? Here's the question. What do they got to give up? Yeah. I mean, do you think anybody's going to knock the doors down for Reeves or Rui or anybody on the bottom of the roster? 
So who you got to give up? And then on top of that, you don't have any number ones. And you don't have any cap space to take on Trey exactly. Young. So yeah. please out there, do the calculus <laughs> and then call me back and let me know how are you going to make that kind of trade. It's I just don't think they have the assets and the resources because they traded so much away in the future. You go back, you go back and look at, at what they gave up in the ill-fated Russell Westbrook deal, the Hall of Washington, and obviously the price they paid to get the great player that is Anthony Davis. It was real significant. It included Brandon Ingram, who's a young star, and it included multiples and multiples of number one draft picks. So there's no assets. There's nothing left in the checking account to make any type of creative big boy trade. Unless you're going to get, unless you get a veteran player Mm -hmm. that wants to get a ring, and unless you get a veteran player, I'm not saying Kyrie Irving because there's too much baggage there that would just wouldn't fit in the Laker locker room. But if you find a couple of veterans that want to come and win and are willing to play on a much lesser contract, then maybe there's a way you can rent vets. But they tried to rent vets with Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony, et cetera, and didn't work out. Well, it's like, uh, what's that guy, Al Horford for the Celtics, a veteran that has a role, has been very good. Yeah, it's going to take something creative, but I think Lakers fans have been spoiled for decades because they get the magic and, well, they had, you know— Will Chamberlain at one point. Then they have late, uh, they have uh, well, you have a Showtime, Ma- yeah, Showtime in the eighties. Then, then you get Shaq and Kobe. Now you got LeBron. It's like they expect that they're going to get whoever they want in L.A. But the salary cap has completely changed everything. Exactly. Uh, we'll we'll follow it. We'll track it. It's going to take all the creative juice that Rob Polinka's got to try and the right guys. I think the only. The only ticket that's going to make this thing better is going to be some veteran guy that wants to come here at a much lesser contract to go get a ring and play play in L.A. Okay, on we go. A couple more here. Yeah, we got some great ones here from uh, the History of Sports Talk Radio. And uh, this is from Arizona Joe. He says, Hacksaw, you comped me Cavalier tickets at the Pace Pontiac in Akron in the midst of a blizzard. Dale Moss of the Cleveland Force was with me. We miss you in Phoenix and remember your work the night Nick Vanos died. We collectively Miss Swenson's and Akron sports were better back then. Well, it was a real different time, and I was a young punk loudmouth talk show host. Now I'm an old gray haired punk <laughs> talk show host, uh, but developed a lot of friends working in Cleveland and in Akron. Went to Phoenix as, as I explained what I did in Phoenix that kind of set the world on fire. And then obviously I used all that experience and came here and kind of recreated the same shtick that was pretty successful at Extra 690. And it was it was fun. Uh, you know, the background is that when the first time John and I met, he said, let's do a trial run podcast. And John wanted to do one about the history of sports talk radio or the history of hacks. So I started telling stories and the stories just came out and out and out. It was it was kind of really interesting stuff that I had not remembered in a while. So, yeah, we did did a lot of unique things. And I think more than anything, John, because I've, I've thought about this a lot because I've talked to a lot of people who have asked me about what we did, quote, back in the day. The reason it was so great, we were on a big signal. That was huge. And we were the first ones to do it. I mean, the in the history of Sports Talk Radio, WFAN in New York was the first. WIP in Philadelphia was the second, going all sports all the time. And we were the third ones. And nobody was doing it in L.A. 
they were doing nice mom and pop shows and Dodger talk or angel talk, but it was only a, a small thing. It was not 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. live and local every day. So we did it with re- really unique people and I'm proud, and I'm, uh, the guys I worked with, we weren't all friends. We all worked really hard. I don't think any of us thought we were creating this type of legacy. But at the end of the day, we sure did. You guys made an impact in people's lives. I'm just speaking for myself. This is when I was in my 20s and 30s. The, uh, there was no internet. Um, I was starving for sports information. I couldn't get it unless I went to USA Today, maybe get a little blip here or there. And then suddenly you arrived on the scene and and you brought you built this empire with you and all these other guys that came along, you know, the, the loose cannons and Jim Rome and uh, the coach and everyone else. I mean, it it literally made my life in San Diego so much better. Because you were with me on all the drives. The other guys are with me in the mornings. Weekends, I was listening to the, you know, Scrub Saturday show with Jim Rome, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, it's that was that's what was so cool about the History of Sports Talk episode that we just re-ran is the YouTube comments. There's so much love coming out. Can we get to a few more of them here? Do it. Okay. This is another good one here. And this is from Mangadolo. Uh, talk about, you know, from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. He says, the greatest station by far, Mighty 690. One time, me and my pops went to meet Chet at the lobby circa 1991. A then relatively unknown and clean-shaven Jim Rome came into the building, and him and Chet began to rip on one another. It was great. After Rome went away, Chet whispered to us, hey, they can't stand that guy in New York. <laughs> After that, we went over to Perry's Cafe for lunch, and Chet ordered a toasted cheese sandwich and fries. I can't believe I remembered that. And I used to listen all day long until late night when the Mexican national anthem would play on the loop around midnight. And it was great. It really was. And and when they were putting this roster of talk show hosts together, uh, I was the first one they hired because I came to be the voice of the Chargers in addition to doing afternoon drive. And then they tried and they they hit on some. They failed miserably for a a couple of years trying to find the right mix in the morning. And then they finally landed people. And Romy developed his shtick and and Hartman and 40 uh, East Coast, West Coast, old guy, young guy arguing all the time. It was so (laughs) different on radio. And then Chet sadly passed away. And then I recommended Philly Billy and Bill Werndell came from Philadelphia and they reincarnated what was called the Loose Cannons. And we had so many other guys that were in there that were participating in the thing. It was just, it was mystical. And I'll tell you, management, I said this on the first podcast we ever did, management will say, look at this roster of guys that we hired. Trust me. They didn't know what they were doing. They stumbled <laughs> upon guys. Nobody knew that, you know, Jim Rome would turn out to be Jim Rome. I thought he was like the guy on Bring Back Cotter. Oh, uh, welcome Back Cotter? Welcome Back Cotter. Uh, what's his name? Arnold Horshack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, exactly. But each guy, and I see, I think this is the, nobody, nobody understands this. This is what made Extra 690 so dynamic. Every guy had a different style, came at it from a different angle, and each show was like a separate entity. Oh, for sure. And they didn't sound the same. They didn't talk about the same topics. They didn't have the same opinions. And we had probably... 11, 13-year run, phenomenal, just yeah. phenomenal. Uh, it was it was just what a unique 
unique mix, and you can't duplicate it now. Everybody's trying to do the same thing, and we were the first ones to make noise. Now there's a lot of noise out there. I don't know that it's got. <laughs> great, I don't know if it's got great content or great talent behind the noise, but uh, it was special. It really is, and it's it's amazing now because I've gone on my YouTube channel in the comments section, and I've written a lot of replies to all the people that want to participate and say I like this or I can't stand you, and that's okay. <laughs> but you know, I think did you feel the love? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because you guys made a difference in our lives. And, and I mean, the Charger broadcast was amazing in and of itself, mm-hmm. but the talk show and that lineup, I mean, you know, like when I was a little kid, I knew TV Guide. I knew which shows were on which day. But when I was a young adult, I knew the extra 690, you know, <laughs> calendar. I knew which guys were on which time slots. And if someone switched a time slot, I was well aware of it and I kind of planned around it. I mean, it was very important in my life. And that's why I just consider it such a thrill to be co-hosting with you now. Well, it'd be better than doing a show with the dog or your wife. I guarantee you that. <laughs> I guarantee you as well. Okay, one more here before we wrap this up on Fans Forum. Okay, let's get this one. This is an interesting one. Uh, from Taylor Pass- Pasapen. This is an Instagram comment about the... Uh, the Coach Prime and Trevor Bauer piece we did. And he goes, what is wrong? If you're talking about sexual misconduct of a baseball player and then went to Coach Prime like the two were connected, you are wrong. Well, I don't recall <laughs> that we linked them together. One no. topic might have followed the other yeah. topic, but we were talking about the ethics of Trevor Bauer and his utter denial that he did anything wrong, quote, in a sexual misconduct case. We'll see if the lawsuit ever gets to court. We were talking about the ethics of of uh, Deion Sanders running off 72 football players at Colorado. And I'll tell you, that story has legs. That story is not going away. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of people, including coaches in the Pac-12 and athletic directors around the country, that are just of the opinion the transfer portal was not to be used that way to run guys out. And we'll find out on the football field. I think I, there's no doubt that, that primetime Sanders uh, did a great job at Jackson State. But this is a different world out here in the Pac-12. At, at Jackson State in the SWAC, he got his son, who's a great college quarterback. He got about five really blue-chip recruits. And they totally dominated the Mississippi Valley states and the Alcorn states of the world. Out here, everybody's got big boy talent. I mean, from SC to UCLA to Oregon to Washington, etc. And there are some people that don't subscribe to the way Coach Prime conducted his business with the players that he inherited in that program. I think some people are going to run some big scores up on Colorado. And he's not, he's not coaching Jackson State. Uh, against mm-hmm. Tennessee State and the SWAC, he's going to be in the Pac-12. So, we'll be—I'll be really interesting, interested to see what the relationship is like going forward and how he holds up if things get really bad. Yeah, it's going to be must-see TV, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, because on one hand, I mean, he could flip the script and be, be, imagine if he was this innovative, dynamic force, and suddenly the Buffaloes are back in the top twenty-five. I mean. That would be an incredible run. So I think we're all looking forward to see how this thing plays out. But to your point, yeah, you you blow out 70-whatever guys. How do you build a roster and be competitive year one? That's going to be tough. Exactly. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our bonus coverage on a Tuesday. Uh, we do our regular Thursday podcast. We'll flip back in. We do a Monday bonus podcast normally on schedule. ton of topics on the table. If you like what we're doing, share and tell your friends. Give us a 
five-star rating if possible. At the same time, check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. It is all written. You can access it anytime. John, have yourself a great day. We'll see you come Thursday. Hope it doesn't rain on you out there in left field. Yeah, I know. The Padres need to win. <laughs> we need to get those guys back on track. Hey, thanks for being part of our special bonus podcast, Hacksaw's Headlines. Have yourself a great night. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com. 